You were listening to the brand new episode, the Thursday catch-up episode of In Love With The Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. What's happening? How are you? What's going on? Uh, let's listen to some more epic music here. Hold on. I love the music we listen to on the show, don't you? It's the coolest shit, man. It is the coolest shit. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? What's new? I figured I'd show up and uh, check in with you guys on Thursday. I, look, let me just give you the insider info here. Your boy is up early, getting his shit together. I uh, stopped editing today because I was supposed to meet with a guest, and uh, it uh, didn't work out. <laughs> i know it's not the guest's fault it's some sort of scheduling issue some calendar thing that works it didn't work but uh yeah i figured fuck it i've got the microphone set up anyways so uh let's do a thursday catch-up episode what is happening let's see what's been going on with me um interesting stuff happened i just did a post about a minute ago i'm recording this on the 28th um, I just did a post about a minute ago. Um, I got to hang out with uh, Brad Pitt the other night, which was super cool. Came by the house. Uh, we went out, had food, went to, um, uh, oh my God, went to the Smokehouse, that cool restaurant that's across the street from uh, Warner Brothers. Um, what did he have? He had uh, shrimp scampi. Warned him against the pasta over there. You know, you go to the Smokehouse it's an old school place. You don't go off the rails, right? The place is called the Smokehouse. You get a steak, right? You get like chicken. You get a burger or something. Yeah, go off the rails. Uh, what did I get? I got, um, what did I get? I've been eating too much steak lately, which is bad for me. But I just, had, what did I have? I had like a, no, I had a T-bone. I had a T-bone there with some vegetables, a soup, and a salad. And uh, we listened to jazz. We talked. And uh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> no, of course, it wasn't the real Brad Pitt, but I got to hang out with my buddy Pavel. Uh, those of you who don't know him, he's an actor. He was in 12 Cam. He played the sound man in 12 Cam. Incredibly talented actor. Um, I have to have him on the show and have you, he'll tell you about his Brad Pitt experience because he just worked with Brad Pitt in a way that, um, you know, he's very close. He was hired and brought in because he looks just like him. So it was pretty wild. He was telling me this story. I don't want to ruin it. I, I'm, pr I'm pretty much ruining it because I'm talking about it. And I'm not giving him the chance to. Um, but now I call him Brad. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he hates it. <laughs> but uh, it was fun. I got to hang out with him and his wife. And we, uh, uh, they actually watched the rough cut of my new movie. And uh, really good reactions all the way around. There was some teary eyes in the house with that, which was great. It was fun. Um, and we just sort of caught up, man. He's was in town from New York. They're New Yorkers. They're East Coasters. And it's, it's interesting. It's fascinating to watch people from the East Coast come out here with the same sort of perspective that I had when I lived on the East Coast coming out here, which is like, you know, very cynical to a certain extent, but sort of looking around going like, okay, so the, everybody's an asshole out here, right? Um, so much so that when we were in the smokehouse, they came over with the 
the the camera to take pictures to sell you, you know, like free postcard, but you know, fifteen dollars for everything else that we're doing. Um, and I'm like, they could smell it on you guys. <laughs> they can smell that you're in from out of town, man. Um, it was fun. It was a good hangout. We what did we end up going? We went to the smokehouse and then they wanted to have like a uh Los Angeles adventure. And I said, well, you know, we could go to the cool places, but you guys are from New York. That's the home of cool bars. There's lots and lots of cool, dark, really cool basement bars in New York. The ultimate place to go on a bar safari, FYI, like East Village, great place to go on a bar safari. Um, but yeah, he, uh, they were like, we want to do something that's like old school Hollywood based. And I was like, all right, well, we should do the smokehouse. And you know, the, the food there, you know, it's kind of tra it's kind of trapped in like the fifties, you know. And the vibe there is w the reason to go, right? That's the reason to go. They have like the red booths, the red leather booths, the the dim lighting, the the jazz band, the live jazz band on stage, and you just feel it when you're sitting there. It just feels like that place that the executives and the uh, the movie stars used to go over to. Like when you watch you know, uh, any of the old Hollywood stuff. You just, you feel it. And they have like really cool photography on the walls from that time period, showcasing what it used to look like, what Warner Brothers used to look like. So if you guys are ever in town and you want to have that vibe, the Smokehouse is a great place to go for that. Uh, Musso's and Frank's is a great place to go to that. Musso and Frank, that's down uh, right on, uh, right off of, uh, in Hollywood, right off the, uh, the Walk of Fame there. That's right there. And then where is another good place? Was Musso's or Frank that? Oh, in Formosa, which is also in West Hollywood. And that place is an old Chinese food restaurant that has really, really great American Chinese food, but elevated, like really well done. Um, and then, you know, you go in there and there are just all the headshots everywhere of everybody that's been in there. Lee Marvin, Sinatra, like the whole lineup has been in that place. That place is infamous. So if you ever in, if you ever come to visit and you're in from out of town, you want to have that Hollywood experience, those would be the places that I would pick. And um, we did that and then we sort of mixed it up and we went and did, um, what the fuck is the name of that place? Oh, Cafe Stella, which we like, which is over in Silver Lake. Um, and that place is cool. It's like a New York bar. It's kind of dark, but it's just got more real estate. Uh, great drinks. It's a great place. What is my drink of choice there? Bee's Knees, which I think is like honey. I think they make it with mezcal, so it's a little smoky, but usually it's like honey and whiskey, honey and a brown liquor. Um, it's like a sweeter version of like an old fashioned, and it's not as, you know, tart as a Negroni. So it's in that game. They They do really good cocktails over there. But that's also... You know, that's also a place that you, there's a lot of celebrity spotting that happens in that spot, which is funny because I, I was there and I was talking to Pavel's wife and she's Leah. She's a great filmmaker as well. She's a great director and she's worked with him. Um, and we were joking. I came in there and I said, you never know who you, and she was like right in the middle of it. She's like, yeah, I'm used to seeing it. And then she sees someone walk towards her and she's like, oh. <laughs> you were just saying, I said, yeah, I told you. I'm not throwing shit at you. You never know who you're going to see in a place like this. And, you know, look, we're not star fuckers, right? We're not hunting for people. It's just fun to, to do that. And what's interesting about California, and we talked about 
the mix about of celebrity and 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 sort of the general populace out here is that it's it's different. Like if you're you may have spotted a celebrity in your hometown, right? Maybe you live in a place that's got a good tax incentive and they're in town and they're shooting a movie and you're just like, George Clooney just walked by. You know, he's out of his element there, right? You know, he's in some different place, usually on a production, which means that everything's getting handed to him. At some point, he's being pampered, he's being shuttled around. Um, the thing that's really fascinating about out here is that when you meet celebrities, or if you see celebrities out here, you're seeing them in their real world, real life sort of situation, which it's it's cool. It also sort of takes them off the pedestal. You have to be careful. You meet them and you you think that they're these larger than life people, and then you just realize you realize that they're usually about under five, you know, nine super short little dudes that are walking around without the benefit of an apple box and a and a low angle lens. You know what I mean? Um, but the thing that I that I like about it is that you know you, you like I'd be drifting through Trader Joe's and. You know, you just bump into these people and you just remind you, it's just like, ah, oh, right, they're humans. They live with us. And it's useful for me, you know, being someone that works with these folks because it takes them off the pedestal pretty quickly for me. And I was fortunate enough to have that happen with uh, music videos, right? Sometimes I'll get asked, do you ever get nervous when you're working around someone that's on screen or someone that's an actor? And um, at this point in my career, I don't. I, I think there'd be a handful of folks, like, like I can't bullshit you, right? There'd be a handful of folks that I would be cautious, you know what I mean? And I think the nervousness would be more like, don't be a dick, don't be a dick, you know what I mean? Not me, but them, you know? Because when you meet your idols and they turn out to be assholes and it just ruins everything, you don't want that either. So I think that, you know, hanging out with Ridley, hmm, that would be an interesting, like I, I wouldn't be nervous, but I would be checking myself consistently, right? Like what the fuck do I have to say that Ridley Scott needs to learn from, right? He's not listening to this show. <laughs> Let's be real. You know, this guy's been around for ages and the experiences and the life experiences and the stuff, that's one of those folks that you go, if you can convince them, which I would love to, I would love to convince Ridley and be like, hey, when I sit down somewhere and have a whiskey and just talk, I'm in, I'm in. Because that's one of those experiences where you're just there as a sponge to absorb as much as you can. Because just, you know, the, 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 the guy's trips alone across the planet, the places he's been alone is fascinating. It's fascinating. So there's a handful of folks, you know, I, I'm sure with Spielberg, I'd be a little like, okay. Okay, Mr. But with him, I feel like I'd be talking to like an old professor, you know what I mean? Or like an older uncle and just be like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. What was it like when this happened? And what was like, what was that? What was this? What was this? You know, I'd ask him a lot of those questions be like, you know, how long did it take you to, uh, to find your voice? And, and what was, you know, were you stressed out when you were doing Close Encounters at that point, right? Had you find your, did you find your rhythm at that point? Is it still stressful? Was it stressful when you did uh, meet the Fablemans? Was that stressful? Hmm. Yeah, I'd, those folks, I think I would be, you know, I'd be checking myself. Maybe a little nervous. I'm trying to think of who I would be nervous. Nervous, nervous. I don't know. I don't know. I'm in a weird predicament anyways, just because I'm on the show, right? So I meet people pretty quick. And I think I have like a lot of safety measures in place. 
So if I meet someone, I immediately try. I, I think the trick is when you meet a celebrity, you try to humanize them as fast as you possibly can, but also humble yourself and humanize yourself. I think with some folks, they get really nervous, and so they go right in on the offensive, like, well, who the fuck are you? You know, and, and that's completely wrong. And then some folks go in as complete fan people. It's like, you know, you changed my life and you did all that stuff. And if that's the first thing that someone says to you, how do you fucking respond to that? Other than like blushing and sort of turning inward and like, you know, changing your body posture to be like, okay, all right, dude, it's cool. I appreciate that, right? You don't want to be that person when you first talk to somebody, you know? You want to go into the situation and just go like, hey, man, you're like, your work is great. Yeah, I've seen it. It's really cool. You know, like, hey, like when you did that bit for Troy, where did you guys shoot Troy? What was that like? What was traveling there like? What's the food like there? That's interesting. What was that? That That's usually my angle. You know, you just sort of go in and ask questions as a human because this human being that went off to do this crazy fucking thing went and had all these crazy human experiences. And these are these experiences that define that person's life. It's not the fact that he you know, had on some sort of armored loincloth and ran around with a fucking, you know, you know, plastic sword and spent all day, like, you know, in the back room, like not drinking enough water and doing push-ups so that his muscles were defined enough. You know what I mean? That's work. <laughs> like, what was it like when you got to travel there and go do that stuff? I was fortunate enough to have a short conversation with Elijah Wood about working uh, with Peter Jackson and going and doing that stuff. It was a very short conversation, but it was interesting to hear how much that experience really affected his life because he went and essentially lived in New Zealand for what, whatever it was, eight months or whatever that period of time for shooting those two movies was. Almost a year, I think, over a year. Um, so yeah, if you ever meet somebody, I don't know how we got here, but if we ever meet somebody and it's someone that's a celebrity you know, ask yourself before you go up to them and ask for a fucking autograph, right? Ask yourself, what do you really want out of this? Do you want a piece of paper or picture that you can brag to your friends and say, hey, I saw this person, right? What does that say about you, first off? And then what is that message that you're giving that person, right? Because then uh, if you go and ask for just an autograph or photograph, you're just looking for the most basic version of that individual, right? That's why if like you're working with someone, it's always like, how do you ask? You're not going to ask somebody for an autograph if you're working with them, right? That's like trash. That's trashy shit. So yeah, man, it's interesting. It's interesting. We were talking about that when we were hanging out and uh, seeing some uh, you know TV celebs walking around in that space. Um, and uh, yeah, where else did we go? We went to Cafe Stella and then we went to Bar 4100. Those of you out here, in Los Angeles, you guys know these places. Bar 4100 is like, for those Boston listeners, and I know there's still some Boston listeners on the show, that would be the equivalent of, I would say, a mix of the model meets the silhouette, sort of mixed together, is what Bar 4100 is, which is like a very, um, you know, I, I want to say dive bar. Yeah, it's a fucking dive bar. It's like all painted black, you know, it's, it's all dive bar there. They always have some interesting, like, food dude out in the parking lot with, like, folding tables and, you know, someone that's, you know, making, doing, like, a food pop-up, I guess is what you would call it. Um, and sometimes they've been pretty fun. 
Like that stuff's cool. As a, one of the other cool things about here in Los Angeles is sort of the street food vibe. And I know we've talked about it a little bit on the show, but um, that place is always a good spot. I, I had barbecue there once, which was pretty okay. I had like a noodle dish. There was a guy doing it. Was he doing like Thai, I think? Or Korean. I think he was doing like Korean bowls, which was really cool. Um, and then the other night, I think it was some sort of Mexican dish, I think. Um, but yeah, good place. If you guys are here or visiting Los Angeles, those are three places that uh, I highly recommend. And I had a close friend come into town and he looked for sort of like the overall my overall la experience and we only had a few hours so that, those are the places that we went um while we're here while we're talking yes the contest to win a 150 dollars gift certificate from photo deox is still in play those of you who want to get yourself a sweet lens adapter maybe you have a fuji film camera are you guys using one of the x series cameras to shoot have you guys even seen fuji films cameras you should. You should check them out. There's links in the description of this episode. You've heard me do ad reads on multiple episodes. Go check out their stuff. It's really cool, man. Um, and then Photo Deox makes these lens adapters. They do all sorts of stuff, but the reason I went to them are for these lens adapters. And I'm able to take really great cinema lenses and my old school Nikon lenses and adapt them to new camera bodies. Um, and a lot of these adapters come with built-in NDs. So you can have ND that you would not normally have on a video camera, which is pretty rad, man. So we are giving away a $150 gift certificate. The way to enter the contest is go to Mike Petchy on Instagram. You'll see my post there. Just uh, leave a comment underneath the post uh, explaining uh, why you want to get a adapter from PhotoDeox, what camera you're using, what lenses that you're trying to adapt to that camera. And for those of you who want special credit, do me a favor and head over to Photo Deox's Instagram page. Um, let me see if I can give you the actual. I should have done my prep. Here's another great example of your boy not doing prep. You know what I mean? Photo Deox. PhotoDeoxPro.com is your website. And what is your Instagram, bros? Let's see. Go all the way down. Scroll to the bottom. Instagram. Boom. Yeah, it's simple. It's F O T O. D-I-O-X Pro. So it's Photo Deox Pro on Instagram. Go there and uh, comment on any of their stuff saying that uh, you heard them mentioned on In Love With The Process and tag me in it. Say, hey, I heard you mentioned. Thank you for supporting In Love With The Process. Any of those posts are great. Tag me in those posts. Um, and uh, you will be put higher on the list for the winner of the gift certificate from these guys. And while you're there, you could see all the products that you get your hands on. They're very fucking affordable and they're, they're game changing, man. They really are. People are always asking, how do you get a specific look? How do you get a specific style? These are the little tools that don't break your bank. These are the little tools that help you do some really cool stuff, dude. You know? So definitely check that out. Let's see, what else is going on? I don't, I don't want to go on too long. I, I, I do have t-shirts. I have. Let me catch you up on my crazy fucking life. So I'm recording this, what, Tuesday the 28th? Um, started the week. I am in picture lock with the movie, which I talked about in the last episode. I am trying to get my timeline organized. I'm trying to get all of my audio tracks organized. 
so that I can uh, put those out to the mixer and to the sound designers and to my composer. So this is the next stage in the edit process. It's organization and it's, it's, it's very important to be as organized as possible. Have any of you ever worked with uh, like uh, sound effects people or uh, composers? For those of you at home that want to know how this stuff works, simply put, I talked about it in the last episode, once I get to a point in my edit where I think it's perfect, and it's usually a cut that's done with temp graphics, temp sound. Um, I hate doing it, but I th this time around I had to bring in temp music. So what it, you, you typically do is you go look for scores that are in the same sort of tone of your film, and you find these tracks to lay them in so that you can cut and you can paste them. I find it dangerous to do because then you, you end up, you can fall in love with the sound or score from something else, and then your composer has creativity sort of cut in half for him, right? Because then he's like, well, he likes this, so I'm going to try to make something that sounds just like this to work. Or the pacing of this has to fit the beat and the rhythm of that, so that's what I'm doing. So it's dangerous to do. I, and in the perfect world where I have enough money, I would rather hire my composer early on and be like, just make me music before I even start shooting. That influences me, and then I can cut to that music. Um, and I'm trying to get to that point in my career where I can do that. But anyway, yeah, so I cut with, uh, you know, temp graphics, temp music. Um, typically, when I'm doing horror, it's all very sound-based, so I'm always downloading sound effects and using temp sound effects for door slams for uh like emotional peaks like whooshes and like like stingers is what they call them the shing, you know what i mean like that kind of shit where like you're trying to build a sense of urgency and energy behind specific sequences so you're digging up all that stuff it's a lot of work man so you're pulling together a lot of temp shit laying it all in then you do your picture cut to that and your picture cut usually has location audio and so if you've got a good sound person they're usually recording with a boom mic right um and some sort of lav and dependent upon uh how many actors you have um you'll have multiple wireless microphones that's what labs are those are hidden wireless microphones and so um with any clip that you have in your timeline if you sync them all, and I was able to get my buddy Josh to do all of the assistant edit work for me, like the syncing. So he was taking the independently recorded audio, using the slates to match the audio up with the visuals. So that way uh, I had all of the onset recorded stuff there. Microphones sound better. The labs sound better. Dependent upon what the action is, is whether or not the boom is better than the labs. Like if someone's rubbing their clothes a lot, really sort of disrupts the boom or the labs. But sometimes in a space, you want to have the environment, the atmosphere of the room also playing into it. So the labs are really good for that. So what you do is you take that clip that has all that audio like combined and bound to it. You edit with it. I usually just turn on one of those microphones to edit with. Um, and then afterwards, when your picture cut's done, you lock it. I like to do it old school. Not everybody does this, but I'll usually put a countdown 
at the front, like a three, two, one, and on one, that is where there'll be a beep tone. So on the specific part of that image, on the countdown, it'll go beep, right? And so I lay that beep at the front of the track. And so that way, if I'm sending out all my different audio tracks, I independently will send um, the sound mixer all the dialogue tracks, which are recorded with the microphone, so that each dialogue track will have uh, a lav um, and a wireless, I'm sorry, a wireless and a boom, and sometimes another mic. So then they'll get three different tracks for that, plus the three different tracks for whatever actors in that scene, plus whatever I've tempted in for room tone. And for those of you who don't know what room tone is, Let's just be quiet for a second. What do you hear in your space? In my space, the computers are on. So there's a light hum that's in the background, right? Off in the distance, there's someone mowing a lawn. Jean is off in the corner and she's doing a little bit of typing in the background. You might hear a dog bark in the background, but room tone is that white noise that runs behind everything. And every space has a different sounding room tone. So if you're ever on set and you hear the sound mixer go, can I get room tone? And then everybody has to stop. And he's like, everybody don't move, don't do shit. He needs you to stay in the space because the sound is affected by individuals in the space, right? So the way that the sound bounces off the walls and stuff, it sounds different if it's a room full of people. So he'll have everybody stop or she'll have everybody stop. And um, they'll record about three seconds uh, up from, I'm sorry, a minute to three minutes of room tone, but three minutes is pretty excessive. And what you're doing is you record that amount and then you just take that and you loop it in these different environments. So let's say you recorded room tone in your shed. You get that room tone, and without it, you're just cutting between all the different dialogue takes, right? Take 46, guy comes in the room, sits down, you hear all that, you hear him from on the boom mic, you hear him come into the room, he sits down, you hear his chair creak, you hear him pick up the um, tool off the bench, really doesn't sound that good, so you're probably going to redo that with sound effects. But he picks the tool off the bench, and he gets to work, and then he starts to sing to himself. He starts to mumble to himself. Bop, 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 right? Now, on the boom pole, the mumbling doesn't sound that good because the boom guy wasn't able to get close enough because this asshole, <laughs> being me, put the light in a specific way that looked really good, but the boom guy couldn't get in front of that light because a shadow would be on something, so he had to be further back. So now he's relying on the wireless microphones, right? So now we have, and you'll hear the difference. The wireless microphones sound like this. It's very in, it's very in you, right? It's very tight. You can feel it. You can feel the bass. But when you're doing a boom pole, boom poles typically are further back. You can start to hear in this space, in our room, you can hear all of the stuff, my voice bouncing off the ceiling, my voice bouncing off the floor, right? So completely different sounds. So when you have these clips with all these tracks attached to them, you're just laying them right in next to each other. And sometimes, because of the way the world works and you can't control everything, 
you're using take, you know, 46 on the close up of the first actor, and then you're using take 14 on the close up of the other actor that you're talking to. And the refrigerator was on in the background of one, and the refrigerator shut off in the background of the other one. So when you go between them, you can hear the difference in and cuts between this and this and this and this and this, right? And so when you're putting these pieces together in an edit, it jumps around. You hear it, boom, 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 which makes it subconsciously jarring to you. Here's a trick for a lot of young editors when you're cutting stuff. You may find that when you're going from a close-up to a wide shot, it just doesn't feel right. It feels very jarring, right? And sometimes you're shifting it. You're like, well, maybe I should cut before she grabs the mug. She shifted to there, and then I'm going to match it up with her grabbing the mug in the wide shot. That should make it feel more seamless. And you still watch it. It feels jarring. And you're like, why is this jarring? It could be because of the sound. It could be that the sound in one take and the sound in the other take are just different enough that when you do a hard cut between the both of them, it accentuates the cut. You see the cut. You feel the cut because you hear the cut. You know what I mean? And so a trick to do is oftentimes you can just lay room tone underneath it so that there's a sense of long-running continuity between all the edits. So let's say you had just the sound of that room with the refrigerator running in the background. Lay that underneath all your edits, and instantly it starts to erase that vibe because there's a sense of that. Now, sometimes you still feel it. And another trick to do is, uh, I forget what they call it. I don't know if they call it L-cutting or J-cutting. But what you can do is... Let's say you have two clips that are right up against each other in the timeline. And for those of you who don't edit, imagine it's two photographs. You've got a picture of a wide shot and you've got a picture of the close-up and you stick them right up next to each other, right? And underneath them, there's a sound that comes with each of them. So maybe in the wide shot, it's the sound of a tugboat. Maybe in the close-up, it is the sound of somebody going, hey, look, it's a, it's a tugboat, but there's no tugboat in that shot. You know what I mean? So a, a trick is, you take the audio that's underneath and you extend that audio for the tugboat underneath the close-up and you can just fade it. You can just put little faders underneath if you want. And that is another way to sort of smooth out a transition or an edit. You know, basic stuff, but when you're doing it, it it's incredibly powerful when you're trying to figure out the pacing. Because oftentimes you'll you'll... What you're looking for as an editor when you're cutting something is not to get pulled out, not to get pulled out of the movie. And I find that I'll be watching a sequence and I'll go, something's not right here. Something's not fucking right. I keep, I keep thinking about this. Something's not right. That happens every time. And you become sort of the psychopath when you're cutting, but you're just like, roll it back, roll it back, roll it back, play it again, play it again, play it again, play it again. And you're watching and going, what the fuck is wrong with this? And you're cutting, you're moving shots. And it's like, should I try another take? Bring another take in. Nope, that's not it. Is it because I'm on the wide shot a little too long? Cut 15 frames off of that move. This that, That's not it. Now go back to the way it was. What is it? It's the fucking sound. You know what I mean? Cool stuff. When people ask, why does it take so long to edit? That's why, man. What you're doing as an artist is you're using the art of manipulation through the senses. But you're also being manipulated while you're doing it. And so oftentimes, 
what you're trying to do. It's like this weird, you're trying to step out of your body. Like you see something and you feel something and you go, why am I feeling this? What is manipulating me to feel this? And then when you become hyper aware of what that is, then you're trying to manipulate the sensory trigger that's doing that to you. And then sometimes you get so involved with that that you forget what it is that you were trying to make. That's where I was last night on this edit that I was doing for this new Gina thing. You just get so fucking in the weeds. You get so hyper focused on like, why does this camera move now? What the fuck? And then you forget. You just get, you find yourself leaning in closer to the screen. You find yourself like pushing those headphones tighter against your head going like, what the fuck, what the fuck? And then you just go, whoa, 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 how does this affect the overall? What am I doing? And you have to step back and you have to pull yourself back. It's crazy. It's exhausting. Editing is very, 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 very exhausting. And oftentimes very solitary and very lonely. Um, and, uh, you know, what you're, what you're trying to do, at least as a director editor, I'm trying constantly to settle my nerves so I sit down and I have all bins and folders full of my plan, right? All the theories that I had, the storyboards and the ideas, and then the execution. Uh, all that stuff is in these folders. And so when you're going through them, it's hard not to feel self-conscious. And, and, and this is something that I, every director I know, every filmmaker I've ever talked to, doesn't matter how big they are, they all feel the same way. The first time you go through those those takes, the first time you go through that folder and you've given yourself a few days or a few weeks since you've shot, now you're going back in. There's nothing more cringy than going through and watching the rawest form of your plan, of your ideas unfold in front of you. And it's it's a tough, it's a tough part of the edit where you're just like, oh fuck. Why did I just do that? Why did I fucking I knew I should have moved that fucking mug? God damn it. You know, and, and oftentimes you're so hyper-focused on a very specific detail. And, you know, uh, the, another really good trick to do is try to convince yourself, and I, this takes time and experience. You just try to convince yourself like, dude, look, I know you can pull this together. You're fucking, and I, oftentimes I will say this to myself just to make sure I'm hyping myself up. You're really good at this. Like, you're a fucking killer editor. You can make really great stuff out of nothing and you have really great stuff here and just because not everything that you shot is at its fullest potential that's beyond your fucking control dude you know like you couldn't control whether or not the neighbor kept turning on their fucking lawnmower and ruining your takes you couldn't control that shit so don't beat yourself up for it like here are the pieces start to build a story start to build a puzzle start to put this thing together uh start from scratch that's editing, dude. Anyway, I don't know. I got off on a pretty crazy little editing tangent there, didn't I? Did you guys enjoy that shit? Do you guys want me to go deeper into it? I mean, I could get real nerdy about like, you know, what programs I use and am I using specific plugins and isn't it great that all I did was shoot this with a 50 millimeter lens and, you know, come on, man. It's more than that. It's, it's emotional. Movie making and photography and food making, chef, right? woodworking it's emotional it's emotional it's emotional say that three times man like what you're doing is you're you a you want to feel something right every artist that, that you know you all want to feel something that's the trick 
how do I feel something first? Is it in a dream? Is it, am I David Lynch? Do I meditate? It came to me in a dream, you know? Are you that person? Are you someone that that needs experience? I, I need experience stuff, right? I like if I there's nothing more appealing to me when I go on a vacation to a spot than to have a kitchen and cook in a in a in a wild place. I like cooking in, in other people's kitchens. I like barbecuing in someone else's backyard. Cause I feel something. I'm emotionally feeling something new and interesting. And then you'll taste that in the food, right? It will influence how I put the food together. And same thing with filmmaking, right? I, I have a life experience. I go through something. And then I feel very strongly about it. Like it affects me on an emotional level. Sometimes on a profound level. Sometimes it's so profound how much it's not affecting me. Right? And so then what you're doing when you're putting together an idea and you're reading a script and it says, you know, uh, the guy drops the gun, the bloody gun, and sits down on the couch, and uh, his whole world comes back into focus, right? Says some bullshit like that. And you say to yourself, okay, well, I didn't shoot a bunch of people. <laughs> I've never done that in my life. But I have been in a car accident before. What did it feel like when my ears were ringing? What did it feel like when I came out of that? Okay. All right. I felt something. Now... How do I make you feel something without putting you in a car accident? All right. Well, what were the sounds that I heard? And what are the what are the sound triggers? What are these little tricks that will trigger the audience's brain into thinking that they just were in a car accident? All right. And so then when you're when you're hyper-focused on that emotion, then you're going through all these tricks. Whether or not the cuts are working, whether or not the audio is working, whether or not the lens is working, all of these different tricks, you're just trying to remember as the storyteller how you felt during that car accident. When you finished that car accident, you went and sat there and you're just watching all these options that come to you, right? Well, this is what the outfit looks like. I don't remember it looking like that. Can we change the shirt maybe? And then, yeah, there's too much makeup on that. I don't buy that. You know what I mean? Like that's where the decision's coming from. It's not purely based, at least with me, it's not purely based with taste. Where I'm like, I just don't like the way that looks. It's like, well, what, am I, what is my point of reference for how I'm judging how that looks? Well, for some folks, they're like, well, the last movie I saw with a car accident, his hair looked a little bit different, right? Cheap stuff. Or there are other people that are like, uh, you know, when I read this book about it, my imagination painted this, the idea of what this person looked like. So in my imagination, they had spiky hair. So let's change their hair to spiky hair, right? Or you're like, when I saw this car accident, you know, I like when I was a kid, um, there was a period of time where I took, <laughs> there's a period of time where I took golf lessons, right? And I was taking driving lessons. So like teaching you how to drive a golf ball. And we were doing, it was during the winter on the East Coast, and we were doing interior driving lessons. And I, I was like, what? How does this work? And my dad went with me, and my uncle and my aunt went with us. So it was the four of us. And we would go once a week, uh, and it was in this gym, and they had the, these little wiffle golf balls. And it was all about teaching you about your swing, right? 
and I don't think I retained anything. I, I, I think I just went on it. I think I was probably like 15, 16. I think I just went on this trip because I got to go with the adults. You know what I mean? I was excited. Got to go hang out and go hang out with my aunt and uncle and my dad and go, you know, whack balls around who gave shit. So we did that. And one night we were coming home from it and we had had gone in the middle of a snowstorm. I don't know why it still happened, but it was snowing pretty hard. And we were driving back and uh, this is how memories work, right? So as I'm sort of picturing these things, certain images come to play. Now, the way I store my images is based upon how I observe things as an individual. And this is what translates to visual style and film from a director, right? So I'm always a very detail-oriented guy. So if you watch any of my films, you'll notice that I like to do a lot of inserts. I like to do a lot of macro shots. I like to do a lot of close-ups. That's how I see things. I'm always that type of person that you'll see me sort of wandering around and looking at all these different details and I'm, I'm cataloging these details. And so when I think back on this situation, I'm like, okay, so I remember the snow. I remember how dark it was because it gets real dark on the East Coast. And we were driving on Route 9, which is a pretty fast sort of, uh, it's not a highway, but it's, a, it's, it's like a minor highway that runs through the heart of Massachusetts, right? So we're driving on Route 9. And um, I just remember how the dark pavement looks with the white snow hitting it. And there's this uh, gradation that happens between a snowbank and dark pavement where it starts to melt a bit on the dark pavement. And so you have like this strong contrast of white and fluffy white and sort of like this very sort of almost lava rock, dark, 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 dark stone that's right there. Now, while I'm riding in the back of the car, of course I'm not staring at the pavement, but I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about the sound that tires make as they run through wet slush, right? The so those are in my head right? As I, as I paint the scene for you. So we're crammed in this car. The windshield wipers could not work fast enough. The snow was coming down so hard that you had to put on your fog lights. You had to put on your parking lights because it's as a haze. So all you're seeing is the front light of the snow from your headlights. And so we're going at a slow speed, right? So normally this, this section of road is probably 40 miles an hour, 45 miles an hour. We're cranking along at maybe 15, right? So we're just cranking along on this road. Everybody's uh, high energy, right? Everybody's senses are peaked because you're just, you're in a dangerous situation. And of course, there's this sense where everybody in the vehicle is now leaning forward, right? Because you're trying to see. You're trying to look out the window, especially if you're in the front seat, especially if you're running co-pilot. I think my dad was driving and my uncle was running co-pilot and I was in the back with my aunt. And so when you're in backseat, you can only be stressed for so long, right? But you, you, when you're in backseat, you literally have given up control. It's like being a passenger on an airline, right? You've given up control. So I'm in the backseat, and I'm looking out the window, and I'm looking at all these details, how the snow just sort of takes over everything. And we were getting a lot of snow. It's probably like, you know, two feet, a foot and a half. So it's taking over everything. And how it changes the shape of the landscape. It's like putting a blanket over, you know, a table, like it changes its shape. And so like, I'm, I'm looking at these details. It's pretty fucking cool, right? 
And as we're sort of driving down the street, we hear it. We hear this noise muffled through all of the dampening, right? And through us nervously laughing and joking because we're nervous because we're driving on this road. We hear the sound, the uh, animalistic sound of like a, you know, small block 350, you know, V8 engine. And it's a very specific noise. And from the years of working on cars, the years of helping refurbish Corvettes, like old 70s Corvettes, and they have a very specific sound through their muffler, especially if they're running side pipes, which is the exhaust that runs along the side of the vehicle, which typically is a bit louder. Um, and so you just hear the the noise of it. And it's through the snow, and we see these headlights coming up behind us, and they're coming fast, very fast. And so we watch in slow motion, right, as this vehicle comes up behind us and decides to pass us. And I think they passed us on the left, on the left. So they zip by us. Now, they come by super quick. We're probably doing 15, so I would say they're probably doing like 50, okay? And it's a Corvette. These vehicles are made of fiberglass. These vehicles are notoriously light. And they're notorious, typical sort of muscle car American kind of shit where they have too much <laughs> power in them in their rear-wheel drive. Okay, so this guy obviously was in a rush. So he accelerated to get by us. So he revved. And as he's coming by us, and through the snow, through the whipping snow, which is just sort of like, whitewashing the image as he's driving by us i look in and i see the two of them right and they kind of look at us and they drive even they accelerate to get by us now we're not racing them we're doing 15 so they accelerate and i watch because now as they get in front of us it goes from white light to red light because of their backup lights the rear lights and those corvettes those old school corvettes have those little round uh, backlights on them. So now it's painting the snow red, okay? So it pulls by us and he revs, right? Which then fishtails him because he gave it too much juice and he's on fucking snow and he's not, he, doesn't, he doesn't have fucking snow tires on that shit, right? Might as well be running around with slippers on. So he revs it, starts to spin his ass around. So his ass spins. So we watch this in slow motion because now he's, just beyond parallel with us. He's now past our nose of our car and he's starting to spin and he's still accelerating. Now, you're seeing this all in like Zack Snyder slow motion, right? So what happens is he catches, he catches the pavement because there's a dry spot and he's almost completely sideways when he catches and he's still accelerating. So once he catches that pavement, the wheels catch and it jettisons him, it jettisons, jettisons, I didn't even say that right, it shoots him directly off the road. So like, he's almost sideways as we're moving in the same direction, he's sideways, he catches dry pavement, and then drives completely in front of us, to the right, into a snowbank. And we don't slow down, we're seeing this all, you know, in real time, right? And we watch him as he... <laughs> And so he hits this snowbank, and the snow goes everywhere, and we're still moving. And I'm like looking behind me now to see what's happening. So I'm looking out the rear window, 
and I see the snow go come up and he's still coming towards us off the road on that side, right? So you're seeing the snow as he's like pulling, like trying to decelerate, but the snow is very light. It's not heavy snow. So it's not doing a good job of slowing him down. And suddenly something hits and something stops him. Now we're, we're trying to, it's all happening super quick. I think this entire thing happened over the course of three seconds. You know what I mean? Super quick, right? But your brain takes photographs. I remember what the car looked like when it was in our headlights and it was sideways. I remember what it looked like with the red light in there. And I remember what it looked like when he hit the snowbank for the first time and the dark black sky behind him and this fucking, like, these snow flurries that were tossed in front of that black to so the contrast of that, Right? And all like the texturing in front of it, the snowflakes and everything in front of it. I remember all that. So then I remember us going, fuck, right? Everybody in the car going, holy shit. And you have that that shudder, like the, all that adrenaline that is just like pumped into you. You know, you're Uma Thurman from fucking, uh, you know, uh, uh, Pulp Fiction. <sighs> you know, and you have all that, <sighs> right? And you just fucking, <sighs> right? You feel it. And my dad decelerates, slops the car. Holy shit. Blinkers are on. Right? The car, you hear it. You hear all that? Is everybody okay? Is everybody right? Is right? Yeah. It's adrenaline everywhere, right? The windows are fogging up from all the breathing that we're doing and the adrenaline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I'm going to go check, right? And so all the doors open. The snow comes in. This is all shit you remember. And it's hard snow. It's cold. It's wet. As you're stepping out and you're checking the road because you don't want to be that asshole that gets fucking hit, right? As you're getting out of the vehicle. And it's quiet. It's quiet. Right? Just the snow. And we're we're a little bit further up from them, so we have to walk back. And we can't see the car. I think my imagination might be filling in blanks, but I think I remember blinking lights over a snowbank or in a snowbank, right? So, and we just hike up. And I remember my uncle, who's a big guy, you know, he's over six, my dad, and we scarf wrapped around as they're running up, the way that scarf like is behind them, you know, and you're just getting closer. And then you just get there and you see the front nose of a Corvette. And I think it was, I, in my head, I think it was a white Corvette. I don't know why. Um, and so we get there, and the, the lights are blinking. The, the nose is pointed out. It's covered with snow. And we just push through. And I remember just trying to make my way through. And it's it's probably just because of the way my brain cataloged it, where it's just images, blinking lights, nose of the car, right? Then something's wrong. They had T-tops on this. Do you guys know what T-tops are? Something that was done in the 70s where it wasn't a convertible. And I think one of the reasons why they did T-tops was for structural. Although Corvettes had convertibles, they did. But T-tops were essentially glass tops that um, could be taken off the vehicle. And they were usually put in the trunk. So like you could take the glass top off of the driver's side. You could take the glass top off of the passenger side and stick them in the trunk. But they still had down the center of it sort of a uh, support bar that they would bolt to, right? And so when you took them off, there was just a bar that ran across the top and it looked like a T, T-top, 
That's why I think that's why they were called T tops. But so this vehicle had T tops, which meant it had a glass roof. Okay. So as we're getting closer, I see it. There's a new color. We got the black. We got the red. Uh, I'm sorry, I fucked that up. We got the black. <laughs> oh, re-edit. Go back. We have the black, right? We have the white. And now there's this new color. This red. Red. And now you're looking, and I remember this. I'm looking at all these colors mixed. And the the the, the black from the pavement and the and the white from the snowbank was also on the windshield because you had white on the windshield but then you had these cracks and these cracks that went over these t-tops and they're very dark very dark cracks and red and so uh what happened was is that when they hit something whether it was a fire hydrant or something that was buried in that snowbank that that took the force of everything it stopped everything and uh obviously they weren't wearing seatbelts. And one of the guys, his head went through the T-top, went through the glass T-top. And I remembered all that. And what's crazy is I don't remember the gore. I don't remember any of that, that specifically. I remember these other details more, right? And I guess the reason why I went off on this tangent and, and the reason why I went down this hole was I wanted to explain to you how this would look if I filmed it. Now, I haven't thought about this in years. I just, this is free flowing, man. What you're hearing right now is just straight from the consciousness and maybe it's boring. Um, but that's how I see things. So can you picture how I would film that? Could you picture how I would edit that? Can you picture what that would sound like? That's the kind of stuff that I'm drawing on whenever I think about, or if I read in a script that I have to shoot a scene that's this, or if there's a sequence that feels like this, that's the stuff I'm thinking about. And then the trick, our craft as filmmakers, is that we spent enough time learning the magic tricks, the smoke shows, to sit there and go, oh, okay, well, I, I, how can I recreate this? And is it, is it as important to see everything wide in third person, or should I be in the middle of it? And if I am in the middle of it, what am I hearing? What am I seeing? What am I tasting? What's going on here? Cool stuff, huh? It's cool. Tangents, man. That's what these Thursday episodes are all about. Tangents. Um, yeah, what do you think? How do you see the world? How do you hear the world? Right? What's your favorite thing? that you remember? What is the strongest memory that you have? Have you, have you noted on it? Have you made notes on it? Have you thought about it? Right? What's the, what's, the, what's the best meal you've ever had? I mean, I could sit here and talk for, how long have we been doing this? Almost an hour, so I should end. I could talk for a whole nother hour on food, on food I've had, the best meals I've ever had, what it was like, what the place felt like, what the wind sounded like, what the location felt like. I'm a real pain in the ass when it comes to going out. I'm, I'm not really a food snob. I'm more of um, in a, a situation snob. I, I get off on, on environment. What's it like? What's the vibe like? Right? Because of what I just did. Because of how I told you stuff. I, like I, I'm hyper aware of that. So for me, it's always about setting tone. You know, setting vibe. And so I think when you watch my movies... 
that's what it is. And a lot of people have said with 12 cam, I love the vibe. I love the way it feels. I love the tone of it. Um, that's because I'm, that's, that's my shit, man. I'm obsessed with that. And that is the thing that has kept me awake for the past multiple weeks on this new movie. As I try to build this vibe in the edit. And so that's what's up, man. That's what's going on. There's your Thursday catch up. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys enjoyed a little story time. And, um, as always, I will be back next week, next Tuesday with a new episode, something fucking cool for you guys to listen to new guests. I'm talking to some new folks. Um, and, uh, that's it, man. I don't want to keep going. This has been an hour. I thought I was going to do a 15 minute one. Well, that was good. It was therapeutic, right? Did you like it? I hope so. Let's see. Let's try to cue a music song out of here. We'll see where we go. Thanks everybody for listening. I'll see you next Tuesday.